sometimes we come to Good Friday and people feel like it's a very kind of somber, kind of very kind of real serious and everyone's supposed to... Guys, I'm not against that, but we already know he's won the victory. This is what's happened. And so it is still a time to rejoice. It's still a time to be glad. We don't sit around. We don't mourn because he went to the cross. He did go to the cross. He went willingly to the cross. And so it's not something that really makes us feel sad. This is the victory that we have. This is the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? There's two texts I just want to say as we begin. We're going to go on. on to, I've got a PowerPoint. So the younger ones, you've got something to look at. I don't usually use PowerPoints, but this is what I am going for today. You know, the Bible says in, in uh, uh, 2 Corinthians in chapter 5, verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ compels us. For the love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And it's talking about the cross. It's talking about what Jesus did there. So it says that the love of God, what? Compels us. But there's also another, another verse. Pardon me. There's also another verse that talks about not just the love of Christ, which Paul talks about, compels us. But he also says these words in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 11. He says, knowing, therefore, the, what does it say? The terror of the Lord, we what? Persuade men. Well, which is it, Paul? It's both. We're going to go through what happened at the cross. To some, it'll be the fragrance of life. To others, the fragrance of death. To some, you'll see the love of God. But you should also see the terror of the Lord. Because what Jesus goes through on the cross, he did so in your stead. And because of the reality of that, that's what you would suffer. You would have to or will have to without Christ. And so we look at the cross and we see that he did it for me. But if it wasn't for him, it would be me who pays the price. And yours is insufficient. It would never be paid for in full. Paul says, who's the apostle of Jesus Christ, the terror of the Lord persuades him. And so he's persuading people. It compels him. So he's persuading him. He also says that the love of Christ compels him. So can I say to you, as you see the cross, both terror and love kiss righteousness and peace kiss truth and justice meet there at the cross you have one side and you also have the other and so i want you to see your situation there as you look here at the cross i want to see i want you to recognize for your own heart what's happening as you face the cross because I, either, either he's there in your stead or you remain guilty before God. Some people I know, I've heard it, they say that, well, you know, when it comes to it, because Jesus died for everyone, everyone's going to heaven. That's a lie. It's called universalism. And the Bible teaches clearly against that idea. But some people twist the scriptures. They twist the Bible. They twist their own ideas, thinking that everyone gets to go. No. 
there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says you must be born again to enter there. So it's your response to what Jesus did, who he is. And so tonight as we come to this, it's, it's going to be quite in your face. But there's a reason for that. Because I want you to be confronted with the reality of the cross. So for you, your terror can be taken away. And for you, the love of Christ can become something that you know you're under and your life is hidden in. That the assurance of belonging becomes yours. When Jesus went to the cross, the Bible speaks of seven separate things that he says. When Jesus goes to the cross, if you read over the Gospels, there's seven things. I'm just waiting for it to come up on the screen, sorry. That there's seven things that Jesus says from the cross while he's there. And we're going to go through all of them tonight. We're going to do so fairly quickly but these are going to be seed thoughts for you in that regard. So when we talk about Jesus going to the cross, um, the Bible says that he was crucified. Now crucifixion is, is something that the Romans used. You can keep going on that. There you go. That the crucifixion is something that the Romans used to execute criminals. They used it to execute those that were opposed to Rome. They were, they were ones who uh, uh, had different ideas. They were politically or they were thieves. They were ones who would, they used it as their death penalty. Thousands and thousands of people were crucified. The Romans got really, really good at crucifying people. It was meant to be painful. It was meant to last. It was meant to be humiliating. And they would do it sometimes along streets where they would have person after person after person after person crucified. And if you were a traveler, you would have to walk by them. And it would speak to you, don't be like this individual. But when Jesus goes to the cross, it's not the cross itself. It's the one who's hanging there that makes the difference. Oh, I'm going to say that again. It's the one who's hanging there that makes the difference. Because many were crucified, but only Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God. It's what he does at the cross that makes all the difference. Because none of us could die for our own sin and survive. But God gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. But let me describe for you a little bit about crucifixion. Crucifixion beforehand we find that the scourging that goes on. And sometimes people refer to the beatings that go on. They could only be hit like 39 times. That's not true. The Jews had it set up that you could only beat a man 39 times. The Romans did not. And Jesus was now being scourged by the Romans. It wasn't the Jewish authorities that were scourging him. This was Rome. And as long as you were semi-conscious when it came time for execution, that was fine. When Jesus had been arrested from the night before and they had taken him to, 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 the, to the Sanhedrin, they had taken him to the, to the high priest from house to house, eventually bringing them uh, to, to Caiaphas. 
And then he sent him off to Herod and he came back again. And in this process, he puts the, they put the crown of thorns on. They clothe him with a, with, a, with a purple robe and they beat him in the process. Some people were actually smacking him and telling, prophesy who's going to hit you next. And he doesn't say a word. He doesn't defend himself. There was a, a professional guy who was called a lictor. He would, he, 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 this was his job. He had a piece of wood that had pieces of leather tied to it and little pieces of bone or pottery or metal tied at the end of leather strips. And they would take them and they would take a person and strip them down naked and, and lean them over and strap them to a pole about so high. So when he would been scourged, the guy behind him would stand and he would swing this, this leather pieces and they would come, they would wrap around the body and they would pull them off. The pieces of bone, of metal would, would dig into the flesh and as he pulled them out, it would do exactly what you're thinking and it would rip through. And he says nothing. He gives no defense. He's like a lamb before his shears is silent and he doesn't open his mouth. They pull out his beard, they strike him, they mock him, they spit. So by the time he goes to the cross, he's, he's weak. He's lost a lot of blood so far. And he's doing this in your stead. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. He knows what he's doing. He prayed about it all night. And it was so heavy, he sweated blood because he knew what it was going to cost him. But this is just the beginning of the sufferings. They would take an individual and with Jesus, they actually made him carry, carry his cross they didn't seem to do it with the others, but it's like, I was thinking about it today, it's like making somebody dig their own grave. It's like having him, here's the shovel, dig your grave, you're going into it. And he does it willingly. He knows without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness, and there's no other blood that will avail but his own. And he does it in your stead. When they get to the cross or to the, uh, it's called the hill called Golgotha. They call it the hill of the skull because of the way that it looks. And as they get in there, the Bible just says, and they crucified him. When someone is crucified, they take the legs and they bend them just so and they put one foot over the other so that there's movement in the knees and the legs. And they put one, and they put one spike through the center there and then they take the hands and, and they, they crucify about this part through the hands as the bones come together. When they put the pole up and it bounces down into the hole that's there and they secure it, the person who's on the cross, all the weight then rests on the spike that's now in the feet. 
And as they hang there for some time, they, they find that they can breathe. Their breathing actually becomes more difficult. They can inhale, but they can't exhale. The only way you can exhale is by pushing down in the spike in your feet, pulling up with your arms here, and taking a few breaths until the arms and the legs get so cramped up and the pain so excruciating that they find themselves sliding back down again until the point of suffocation. And then they do it again. People could last hours, days on the cross. The bugs would come, the birds would come, the humiliation. I know in the movies they have certain bits covered, but it wasn't covered, it was meant to be humiliating. So when Jesus is on the cross, my point is this, that when he speaks, it's intentional. How many of you have ever been in a fight? <laughs> got popped in the mouth. What happens to your mouth when you get smacked? Swells up. Makes it hard to speak, doesn't it? He was bruised for our iniquities. So when he's on the cross, he's going to have to press down on the spike in his feet and pull up with his hands, with his arms, and everything cramping up. He's going to have to intentionally take a breath to be able to say something. So it's not just the whimpers of someone who's in pain. It's not just the flailings of a dying man. He's speaking intentionally. And then God, by his spirit, is making sure that those phrases are being recorded for us because there's a meaning to it. There's a purpose in it. So in the process of Jesus speaking, these, these, these seven things on the cross, his back, his face, his arms, his legs, his feet... but he wanted to for you. There's another word that I want you to keep in mind as we go through it. It's a special word and we use it. It's called substitution. When you're playing football... If someone's on the field and they get injured, what happens? A different player comes on and plays his position. Substitution. Sometimes when, when they're, they're, they're getting ready for one of the big games or one of the, the finals, they decide who's going to play. And they substitute one player for another. This guy gets to play in that space. Jesus is your substitute. He goes to the cross. He does what you didn't fulfill and he plays your position so that he can give you life. I'll show you this. This is a... Uh, you, you've heard of the book of Isaiah? Isaiah is a prophecy that was written about 700, 750 B.C. Let's look for just a moment at some of these. It's really simple, but you'll get this because this, this is for you. 
I want you to recognize, don't think about the person sitting next to you. Yeah, it's for them, but this is for you. So we look at just a few of the verses that are on there. We could look at the whole chapter, but we don't have time tonight to do everything. So he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are... <coughs> All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For just a moment, you know the word transgressions there? It's not a word we tend to use all the time. We do use another form of the same word, and that's the word trespass. You ever seen a sign that says no trespassing? What does it mean? Don't go there. When I was a little boy, we had ones. There was the barbed wire. There was the sign that said no trespassing. And I don't know, I wanted to go over there. Because it said don't, I don't know, I found I wanted to. So you pull the barbed wire across and you climb through and you go where you're not supposed to. God says don't and we do it. He says don't tell lies. And we trespass, we go where we're not supposed to. He says don't look at naughty pictures. We do, we trespass. He says don't kill people. You say, well, I've never done that, but boy, you've been angry enough to. And we trespass. Those are transgressions. We go and do what he says don't. Iniquities, that's again, that's not a word we normally use. It's like a stain on the soul. You ever had a pen explode in your pocket? You put them in your back pocket. It's the worst thing you can do because they just get warm and, and then you get this little blue spot on your blue jeans. Has that ever happened to you? No, Naomi's like, that's never happened to me, Dad. Well, it happens to me. It happened to me. I don't do it much anymore. But you put your hand in your back pocket and you get that blue ink on your fingers. What happens? Try to wipe it off. What does it do? It smears. It's like really hard to get off. Well, imagine, imagine a stain on your soul. You can't wash it off. You can try, but it's like it just smudges. It just seems to get worse. The more attention to it, the worse it seems to be. And there's nothing you have to offer. There's no cleanser that you own that you can make that go away. They say time heals everything. No, it doesn't. Some of us got hurt really bad by somebody else's sin as when we were young. Has it, has it gone away because time has been? No. There's only one cleanser, and that's what God provides for you and I. It's like a stain on your soul. Say, well, do I have one of those? I don't know. When you close your eyes at night and go to sleep, what does your conscience scream at you? When you're in church and the pastor's preaching, and it's like, he's talking to me. Who told him? That's because the guilt of your iniquity is crying out against you. This isn't to condemn. I'm just saying this is the facts. Time doesn't take away sin. <laughs> Even your repentance doesn't take away sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, can cleanse from all sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Repentance is a response to the blood. 
But let, let me just show you substitution. I, you may have already seen it while I put these verses up, but I'll just try to make it clear for you. But he, do you know who that is? Do you know who this is referring to? Jesus. Now, he was wounded. Now, by the way, this is a 700-year-old prophecy. No, it's actually, it's about 2,700 years now. But it was 700 years B.C., before Jesus was born. They found another copy in the Dead Sea Scrolls that dates back at least 200 years before the birth of Christ. So nobody wrote it down after the fact. But he was wounded for our transgressions, but he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the red is he or Jesus. The, the yellow is ours. You see this? He for our. He for our. It's, it's simple, but it's there. He for our. Him for us. Him for we. That's substitution. He took my place. Tell someone next to you, he took my place. He took my place. Now, let's take it a bit further. Let's put the name of Jesus there so it's really clear. Maybe you can read it out together with me. Yeah? But Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, Jesus was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement or the punishment, the chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus. And by Jesus' stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Let's take it a step further. I really liked what you prayed today, Carlos. Let's put your name there. Instead of our, we, put yours there and read it. Read it out loud to yourself for a moment. But Jesus was wounded for his transgressions. Jesus was bruised for iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Jesus and by Jesus' stripes. It's really specific, isn't it? This was what he did. This is what the Father had planned. This is what Jesus willingly did on your behalf. All we, you, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to your own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of Wade. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short. Transgressions, iniquities. We know the guilt. But it's only what Jesus does that's enough. And it's absolutely sufficient. Complete to forgive and cleanse from all unrighteousness. Jesus was crucified. He, he went to the cross for you. 
He doesn't say, clean yourself up and then come to me. He doesn't say, fix your life and then I can receive you. There's only one way you and I can be received. That's because of what he did in my stead. He played my position and he took my death. He took my punishment. He took yours. So let's move on and let's look at these statements that Jesus makes. Now I want you to understand that Jesus spent just, just over six hours on the cross. And the Bible is very specific. In a Roman, the Roman kind of time frame, you'd have uh, the hours were kind of set off in 12-hour sections. So you'd have 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Usually that was sun up to sundown. That's just kind of the way it worked. But these 12-hour sections. And so then you've got the first hour is 6 a.m., the 12th hour is 6 p.m. So now when the Bible says that Jesus was crucified at the ninth hour, or pardon me, the third hour, it says that halfway through that he says certain things at the sixth hour. And that he said just after the ninth hour is when he gave up his spirit. So that means Jesus was on the cross from, from about three or 9 a.m. to what? 3 p.m. So in history, if we were looking at today, Jesus would already be in the tomb. So he spends just over six hours on the cross. During the six hours, then, he begins to speak. He's crucified now, and he's struggling to breathe. And during the first three hours, he says three things. So between the third hour and the sixth hour, so that's between nine and about 12, he says three things. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He says, also, he says, woman, behold your son. Remember Mary standing there at the cross. His mother. He says, behold, mother, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. And he brings them together. We'll explain that in a second. And then he says to a thief, assuredly, I tell you, Today you will be with me in paradise. See, at the central core of what Jesus pays for is our sin, our iniquity, our transgressions. So he has to bring forgiveness. Without the forgiveness of sin, you're stuck. He has to pay for it. It's not something where God can just pat you on the head and say, I don't mind, I forgive you. Because the only way it could be paid for is the debt had to be paid. If you go to court and you're standing before the judge and maybe you've gone through a couple of those psh, psh, and they, they catch your license plate and you're stuck and, and you know you're guilty and the judge says you're guilty and you got to pay the fine otherwise you do the time. Well, the same thing with the court of heaven. But what's at stake is not a couple of pounds that have to be paid, but it's your life. It's, it's given unto man one time to die in judgment, and, and sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus steps in, and he pays your fine by giving his blood instead of your blood being offered. Your blood wouldn't work. It's already tainted. It's tainted. 
You've already sinned. He was without sin. But he gave his blood, his life in your stead. Forgiveness is at the core. I wonder today, do you know you're forgiven? Completely. He said, well, I don't know. I look inside and I don't feel. Don't look inside. Look to the cross. You look to Jesus because there he made the payment for your sin. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters whether, whether a debt has been paid on your behalf. And he said it. He says, Father, what? Forgive them for they know not what they do. They thought they understood, but in dynamics, I'm telling you, there's guys that are, we're standing at that cross that are standing in the reality of eternity going, we didn't understand what we were doing. If they had, they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Forgiveness is at the core. You find him taking his mom. See, Jesus is the firstborn in the family and so it's his responsibility. Joseph is probably dead by now. There's no mention of him after this point or during the last latter half of it. And so it was Joseph's responsibility to take care of the family. But when he dies, it's the firstborn's responsibility. But Jesus is going now. So he says to John there, Behold, woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. You know, he made people family who weren't naturally family. And at the cross, this is what happens. Through what Jesus did, he makes us family. Do you belong to Jesus? And I belong to Jesus, guess what? We're brothers, man. Forever. When we're born again into that family, we belong to him, but we also belong to one another. Forever. We belong to the family of God. We become children of God. God becomes our heavenly father and we become those part of the same family. That's often why they call them brothers and sisters because we're born again into the same family. I have a place to belong. In the world that's so full of online stuff where you can have loads of friends and be as lonely as can be. We have a place to belong. I've got family all over the world. I was just in Germany. I got family there. I've never met them before. And I got to meet them and spend time with them. And it's like we'd known each other for years. Because when they belong to the same family and I belong, you'll find that, Matt. When you'll meet people who are Christian, you're just like, there's just this, this common thing that you've got that's because of him. I have a place to belong. And no offense, it doesn't matter what you think. Because you're stuck with me. Hallelujah. That means when you got a good day or you got a bad day, it doesn't matter. He doesn't disown his own. Oh, Lord, help us with this. When Jesus therefore saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home. It's nice to belong. 
Later we'll come to the communion table and that's really what, what it's stating. Jesus did this on our behalf so that we could be brought together in relationship with him and with one another. Amen? This is good news. There's a place for those that are orphans. There's a place for those that are the widows. There's a place for those that feel that they're outcast. In Jesus, we've got a home. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But behold, woman, behold your son, behold your mother. And then he turns to a thief. There's two of them, remember. There was one crucified one side and one the other. And, and both of them are this close to heaven. <laughs> heaven was manifest in flesh. God was manifest in flesh. Here it is. And they're both that close. And they turned and begin to make fun of Jesus at the beginning. Remember, this is happening over some hours. And as this one guy, he's hearing Jesus. He's hearing him pray for everybody who's executing him. He's listening to what he says to his mom. Remember, he says it. He has to push down on the things in his feet. He has to pull up on the spikes that are in his arms. And he has to speak and then say what he needs to say. This is intentional. And this other thief's watching him. And it's almost as if someone pulled back the curtain for him. And he just didn't see a a hunk of meat hanging there, dying. It's like he could see the Lord of glory, the King of Israel, that this is really who he is. Because no man speaks that way. No man is like him. He's being punished for what he doesn't deserve. And he speaks to the other guy, hey, you know, we're getting what we deserve up here. He's done nothing wrong. And he looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did the guy have to offer Jesus? Nothing. He was dying. And by the end of the day, he was going to be dead he doesn't make oaths and promises. He doesn't say, I'll try to get better. I'll try to be a good boy. He doesn't say anything like that. He just pleads. He casts himself upon the mercy of Jesus. And it's the smartest thing he's probably ever done in his life. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Some of you, again, still think that I'll try to be better. What do you have to offer? You say, well, me. Well, you're dirtied without him. I'll give my life as a sacrifice. You're a polluted sacrifice. It's unacceptable on the altars of God. There's only one sacrifice that can make you accepted, and that's his. And as Jesus is there, he turns to the man. Again, remember... The guy's making fun of him just a few minutes before. And he turns to him, says, assuredly, truly, truly. Amen and amen is actually the words. It means absolutely. Today you will be with me. 
Today you will be with me. Do you notice it doesn't say maybe? It doesn't say hope so. Does it say possibly? How about this? Could the man get baptized? Oh, that'll shake some of our theology. Did the man pray the prayer? He just cried out and put his trust in Jesus. It's amazing. Is it that simple? Oh, it's weakness leaning on omnipotence. It's me in my weakest state relying on him who is almighty to save. Can you put your trust in him? No. Will you put your trust in him? Jesus is suffering this. So during this three hours, he says these three things. And one of the strangest things begins to happen. The Bible says the darkness covers the land. Some would say, well, maybe it was like an eclipse, but it lasts for at least three hours. Eclipses don't normally last that long. Something comes in and the darkness overtakes. Theologians argue was it, was it the enemy and the darkness that came in? Remember like when they were in, in Goshen and, and darkness covered uh, Egypt and then Goshen there was light. That darkness was a thick darkness, it says. It was almost physical. But <coughs> was that it? Or, or was the father shielding his son from what he was suffering? I don't know. But it says darkness covered the land. Everyone knew. In fact, I was reading, I was actually listening to this guy who was speaking in China in the year 31 AD. It was prophesied and the guy said as they watched darkness cover everything that the one who was being offered was one man who was dying for all. And they'd never heard of Jesus. It's written down. From the sixth hour until about the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And something was happening during this period. God was now going to pour out his wrath on Jesus. Jesus is standing there in your stead. So think about it for a moment. The most wicked thing you've done God took it and he bore it in his body as if he had been the one to do it. The lies, the murderous heart, the adulteries, the, the most wicked things. Paul the apostle said, I'm not worthy of being called an apostle. I persecuted the church of God. I was there when they stoned Stephen. I took men and women and put them in prison. He was a known terrorist to the church. But he said that Jesus died for me. So as he hung there on that cross, he took your sin, all of it, and it was laid on him. He became the sin bearer in your stead. All of the wicked things, even the stuff that you just did in your head. 
and he bore it in his body. And the hammer of God's justice, his anger towards your wickedness fell on him. We do this when we watch TV, we watch the news and How many of you have seen it where somebody has done some heinous thing, they've done some wicked, evil thing, and it seems that the court system just doesn't do justice? Have you seen that? Someone's just let off multiple murders and they get 12 years. So they spend half of it and with good behavior they get out early. And you think, that's unfair. You're right, it's unfair, it's unjust. But God, he's absolutely just. And the wages of sin is death. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. And God took your sin and laid it on Jesus. And the hammer of his justice fell. Jesus suffered in silence. This period is called the suffering, the the, the silent suffering of the Lord Jesus. He doesn't say a word. Darkness covers And your wickedness he's bearing in his body on the tree. The Bible says this, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the, there's a big word for you, propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means one to turn aside wrath. So instead of it hitting you, it hit him instead. Do you know how much of it? All of it. A complete payment. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to what? For a ransom, for for many. He gave his life for you. He laid it down so that you could be free. He substituted himself for you. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. For he, God, made him Jesus who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In other words, he takes your place so that you can take his. Substitution. It's the only option. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus, during this three hours, he suffers in complete silence. And he does this, again, as your substitute. He does it so that he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. I'm just showing you again and again, this is what it's about. See, I'm going to hit this because there's sometimes we get this idea that Jesus paid for most of it. 
But the Bible, he said, he says he paid for all of it. That his blood, his body was given once for all time. There are actually teachings in history, and the Catholic Church has picked those up. It denies the sufficiency of the cross. It says what Jesus did isn't enough. You still need the church to give you grace and forgiveness. You still need the mass to find that Jesus is sacrificed. Is that it too? The way you receive Jesus is by taking the emblems into your own life. But that's a lie. Jesus at the cross, his sufficient, sufficiency is absolute. He died once for all. He dealt with it completely. You don't have to, when you die, to get purified from your sins. You don't have to go to a place called purgatory and suffer for thousands of years, hoping that one day you'll be pure enough to enter heaven. That's a lie. Jesus said to the thief, today you will what? Be with me, not go to purgatory, and when you get done there, you can come and join me. Absent from the body, Paul says, present with the Lord. Not you go to purgatory for a little while to, to take care of your own sin and then the sin that Jesus didn't die for and after you pay for it, you can join me in heaven. That's a lie. The cross is sufficient. You know, if the church never, never developed into an organization, Jesus would still be enough. If you lived in a land where there was no church on an island out in the middle of nowhere, Jesus is still enough. What he offered was absolutely complete. It's a guarantee of life in him. <coughs> Jesus suffered in silence. He suffered in darkness. But the Bible says that the, just at the end of this three-hour period that he cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which translated means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now I need to, to, to kind of comment on this. Jesus is the fullness of God bodily. Jesus on the cross as a man, when he suffers for your sin, does it as a man, as a person. An eye for a, and a tooth for a, a life for a life, a man for a man. The blood of bulls and goats and lambs could never take away sin. God was always pointing forward where Jesus then becomes the lamb of God who then takes away the sin. So when he suffers on the cross, he does it as though he was you. Outside of Christ, this will be your cry. Hell is a place where nothing but the wrath of God is. Hell is a place where you're absolutely separated from all the mercy, all the kindness. Even the light that you so much enjoy, just in unnatural, won't be there. The Bible says they'll be cast out into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That word, that phrase gnashing of teeth isn't like pain. It's like, it's used in scripture when people were really angry with someone and they kind of gnashed their teeth at them. There'll be an anger towards God. 
the hatred that they've lived in all their life will be manifest, unrestrained into outer darkness. You know, Jesus suffered in darkness so that I don't have to. Jesus said he's the light of the world. He said those who follow me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. He suffered in silence so he could bring me into communication with God. His spirit testifying with mine that I'm his, his child. Because you're a believer, you get to hear his voice. But he suffers The Bible says that he was forsaken. Do you know why? So that you could be accepted. Remember, he played your position. He played it to the nth degree. Jesus was forsaken so that you could be accepted. What he paid for was complete so that you could know what it means to have the grace of God on your instead of the judgment of God. To where he would turn his condemnation away from you because Christ bore it so that you could know the grace and the mercy of God on your life. Jesus was forsaken so that we could be accepted. Our acceptance is based on what Jesus did, not what you do. See, religion is all about what I can do, what I bring to the table. Grace is about what he did in my space. His unmerited favor. His power to save me. To change me. To make me a child of God. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your woman. To the thief, uh, most assuredly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And then in very quick succession, Jesus says the next three things. Can you go forward? Sorry. I don't know, something happened there, okay. Jesus then cries out. He says, I thirst. The Bible describes God's judgment, especially in the book of Revelation, as bowls of wine. And that would be poured out, and the people who have done evil will be drunk on the fornications of their own doing. They'll be punished by it. They'll be filled up with it and then God will judge. But Jesus at the cross, he drinks down my judgment completely. He bears the judgment that I deserve where God would pour it out on me and he drinks it down dry. And at the end of it, he cries out, I thirst. In other words, you could say, is there anything left? I'll take care of that too. It's a finished work at the cross. Jesus 
finishes it off. It's almost get this idea that here it is, all the wrath of God that you and I deserve. Now remember, this is personal, but this is also collective. So it's not just your sin, but it's all sin of those who would be his, all those that he would give a ransom for, all those that he would pay for. He gives himself as a ransom for many. He takes the cup and collectively drinks it down. And all of the judgment of God he bears in himself under the wrath of God, the anger of God towards sin and towards sinners he bears in his body and the hammer falls and he drinks it dry and it's like he goes, it's done. And he takes it and he shatters, shatters the, the bowl, shatters the mug. There's nothing left to drink. So that those that are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he drank it down dry. It's done. Oh, the sufficiency of the cross. Your life is secure in him when you belong to him. Outside of him, it is judgment. Those who don't believe are condemned already, he said in John chapter 3, verse 36. But those who flee to Jesus for mercy, he's drunk dry all their condemnation. People say, well, what about what I deserve if, I, if I'm a Christian and I've still not lived the way he wanted me to? Does, when Jesus died on the cross, do you realize all your sin was future? All of it. So he paid for it very clearly in time. And he redeemed you. He bought you. So now you're his. Lord, help us. And then he says, It is finished. Tetelestoi is the word that's in the Greek. It's not, it's not one of those words that's kind of a, a flimsy, oh, it's over, it's done now. It's actually a declaration of victory. Jesus now, remember, this is coming to the end where he's now going to die. He's tired. But it's not his tiredness that's going to kill him. He's bled a lot. And he's poured out his blood. He didn't spill his blood. He poured it out for you. There was no accident involved. And he pushes down in the spike in his feet. And he pulls up the ones in his hands. And he takes a deep breath. And he cries out, it is finished. Everything has been paid for. Jesus didn't go to hell to suffer for sin. He finished the work on the cross. It's a finished work. It's done. When we put our trust in him, we're not hoping that he might finish the work. We put our trust in the one who's already finished the work. Our salvation is secure in him. Is this making sense? See, for some of you, this is like, this is amazing. I never realized it was so awesome, so massive, so complete. Wow, 
the love of God that surpasses knowledge. And some of you are like, he had to pay all that. And you're realizing the depth of your guilt. And there's only one that can deliver you. Let me just say this, that if Jesus, if this was the, <laughs> God wouldn't make his son suffer anything more than what was necessary. But that means it was necessary. And if he hasn't paid for your sin, and God dealt with his holy son, in this way, what, he, what might he do with those who have yet to believe and reject the love of God and the grace of God for themselves? The terror of the Lord and the love of Christ kiss at the cross. It is finished. The Bible says that he paid my debt in full. There's nothing left for me to pay. It's complete. What Christ brings is so different than the religions of the world. They say try hard, be good, maybe. But Jesus says it is finished. See, when we turn our eyes to him, the good news of Jesus, he did all the work and we turn our eyes to him and he delivers us out of darkness. He brings us into the, into the kingdom of the son of his love. We look away unto Jesus who is able to save us and is the author and the finisher of our faith. We look away unto him. It's his power to save me that I trust in. Lord, help us. The last thing Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He doesn't say I'm going to hell now so that the devil can deal with me, does he? Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. Well, where did Jesus go when he died? He went into death. See, Sheol, or the place of the dead, Hades, which what is it called in the Greek, Sheol in Hebrew, is a place where all those that die, their soul goes. And, and there were those who had believed in the one true and living God and were waiting for the coming of Messiah. And they were in this place. place it was called Abraham's bosom. That's the way it was described. One of the parables Jesus tells about the rich man and Lazarus, and Lazarus was with him there. And he also describes that those who were unbelieving, the wicked, the unrighteous, were also in a holding place, waiting in torment until the final day of judgment. But Jesus goes down into death because even Abraham, even Joshua, even King David couldn't get into the presence of God until the blood had been offered. 
But when Jesus goes down, Hebrews or Romans chapter 3 says it about it, is that God overlooked for that for a season, for a time, until the payment would be made in Jesus. And so he makes the payment so that those who were in the place of Hades or the place of Sheol would come out there and he would lead captivity captive and he would give gifts to men. In other words, they waited until Jesus had paid the price with his blood so that they could be in the presence of God. I don't have to wait anymore. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. But he broke death from the inside. I don't know about you. Have you guys ever seen Men in Black? Yeah? It was one of the ones, it just comes to me. It, one of the ones where, I don't know, he, he, he purposely gets eaten by one of those bug things. And then he pulls out his little blaster and blows the thing up from the inside out. And Jesus went in and with the power of his blood and the power of the holy life, the power of him as the child, as the son of God, he breaks death from the inside. And the bars... He completely destroys so that those are in him. Death is not the final victor. Someone, I think it may have been Naomi, who talked about death not coming for you. Death is a thing. It's not a point in time. In the very end, the Bible says that God will take death and cast it in the lake of fire. Death and Hades will be thrown in there. It's a thing. You can't call it a living thing because it's a death, but it's a thing. When I die, when my body gives up and my inner man leaves this shell, it won't be death that's waiting for me. Jesus is waiting for me. And I will be with him. So that when you're in him, it's not death that comes to collect you. It's him. Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. This is making sense. Because this was a done deal. This is a finished work. This is historical. It's not faith. Jesus was publicly executed under Pontius Pilate. He was put in honor. He had an honorable burial and was placed in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And on the first day of the week, that tomb was empty. And those that went to the tomb said, we saw him alive. And over six weeks, Jesus proved to them that he had been risen from the dead. And he was the Messiah, the Christ of the Old Testament. And life was only found in him. And to go and preach the gospel to every creature. When Jesus died, something happened at the temple. The Bible says that there was a veil that was between the holy place, holy place where the priests would do their thing and the most holy place, which was supposed to be where the presence of God was, where the Ark of the Covenant was supposed to be kept and the presence of God was. They could only go in once a year, only one guy that was the... the, the a high priest, and he could only go in on the Day of Atonement once a year. No one else was allowed in the presence of God. If you went in there, it would kill you. But even he went in with blood because there was no other way. 
what the Bible says that the moment Jesus gave up his spirit, this is what happened. That the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Oh, that is so significant. Even the direction in which it was torn. It wasn't a group of people standing there at the bottom saying, now let's open this thing up. It was God reaching down and tearing it open because now the way had been made open to every person who would be washed and cleansed in the blood of Jesus to be able to know the presence of God in them and with them. I'll say it so far as I think not only was the way made open to get in, but the way was made open for it to come out so that the kingdom could come on earth as it is in heaven, that the presence of God could be poured out on all flesh, all those who believe. It's quite warm. Is it warm in here? It's, I'm, I'm, it's. So the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, Jesus was buried. He was placed in the tomb. We know the end of the story. On the first day of the week, God raised Jesus from the dead so that we have life in his name. We don't worship a dead dude. We worship the Lord of glory, the son who has been raised from the dead and declared with power to be the son of God through the resurrection of the dead. But whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I ask you today, and this isn't a condemnation question. Are, are you saved? Has he saved you? Have you cast your trust on him and what he did so that he will deliver you? He'll change your heart. He'll take your sin away and make you clean. He'll give you righteousness, absolute acceptance. Are you saved? If you, if you think in your mind, well, I'm trying, then you're not. You say, well, that's not fair. No, 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 hear me. I'm trying means you're what? Trying. Instead, it should be, well, I'm trusting. See, Jesus didn't leave it for you to figure out. He didn't leave it for you to do and try to, I'm trying to get saved. He wants you to literally cast yourself on him and say, okay, I can't do it, but you can. I'll trust in your work for me rather than my work. I'll trust in your sacrifice rather than what I can do. Jesus, you've made the payment. I trust you alone, then he saves you. Do you see the difference? He saves you. He becomes the strength of your salvation. And he's strong and mighty to deliver completely, to bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. I think there's one more up there. John wrote his gospel and said this in John 20 and verse 31. But these are written that 
you may what? That Jesus is the... And believing that the Son of God, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing, you may have what? So I guess, do you believe? These things, he says, John writes in 1 John, he says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Who is that? What's his name? Do you believe in Jesus? I do. I can't answer that for you. The person standing next to you, sitting next to you, can't answer that for you. Only you can. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may feel. Is that what it says? Feel that you have eternal life? What does it say? That you may what? All right, close your eyes for a second. Just humor me. Close your eyes for a second. One, two, three. Okay, open them up again. Now what does it say? Does it say the same thing? So in other words, it's the same all the way across the board. That if you go, well, how do I know that I have eternal life? What does it say? I've written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you might know. Can you know? Yes, our eyes, my eyes are on him. Don't look at you. Your eyes are on him. Lord, I do believe. I believe in you. You're the Son of God. You're the Christ. I believe in you. So he, he does it, and he sets you free so that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Seven things Jesus said from the cross. I know it was a lot to take in, probably more than what your brain, so you can get it and listen to it on the podcast if you want. But if you'll take this on board, like a diamond, that has facet after facet after facet after facet. If you'll take the time to think on and let these things go down deep inside you, they will secure your soul, your heart, your mind, your mind in Christ so that you can be one to walk. No, I know that I have eternal life. I belong to him. And the outflow of that life will bring such a transforming work in you. So may the Lord help us tonight. This is what he's already done. This is the work that he finished. This is what he came to do, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Father, we just bow in Jesus' name and just thank you that, Lord, it was you who sent forth your Son, not to condemn us, but to save us through him. That it, this wasn't our idea, this was yours. This was your work that you did in Christ, reconciling the world to yourself. This is what you paid with, the very blood of Jesus, to redeem us. That you became the Passover lamb, to 
put death and bring life, to destroy death and bring life and immortality to light through the gospel. That tonight there is hope in him. There is life in him. That the payment has been made. That my guilt has been paid for. That the justice for my sin was paid in full. And your love was manifest at the cross. I pray, Lord, that tonight, that each one here, each one that would hear this message, each one that might listen to it even in the future, that, Lord, you would cause the truth of your gospel to go down deep. And, Lord, you would cause faith to rise. Lord, a trust in the finished work of Christ. And that, Lord, they would know what it means to be saved by you. So help us tonight. And we just ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.